Class is in session. Welcome to Sports School. I am your host, Coach Dwayne, just a regular teacher with a sports mind. And so, right off the bat, I'm going to answer the question you're all thinking. That's why as a teacher doing a sports podcast, why do we care? Well, quite frankly, today was a very depressing day for me. Why? I realized I was getting old and my students also do not watch sports. It came up in conversation and I brought up the, the, I mentioned, I mentioned LeBron's new Space Jam and come to find out a lot of my students did not know it was a sequel. And that is when I realized I was getting old. And then I realized a large chunk of my students do not watch sports because I mentioned that if you gave me a headband, I could be Alex Caruso's twin. And again, the students did not enjoy that joke as much as I did. So I realized that maybe I needed to get in a different avenue, step down into a different lane. And so Sports School, the podcast was born. And I'm here, I hand out grades, I give lessons, I hand out detention, we have special guest co-teachers, everything you could have in your regular school setting. And so, today we're going to jump in, we're going to hand out some grades here on this Thursday edition of the Sports School Podcast, starting with the New Orleans Pelicans. New Orleans Pelicans get an A. For their victory over the Utah Jazz a couple days ago. Zion and Brandon Ingram both dropping 26 points. Zion adds 10 rebounds to that. Ingram 5 and 5 assists and rebounds. That duo is a legit duo. That duo has a lot of promise to continue to grow and get better together. Um, I'll admit I was wrong on Zion. I didn't think Zion would be dominant in the NBA, it's starting to look that way. Um, Brandon Ingram, I've always said, is light Kevin Durant. He's diet KD. Um, and so, I think the Pelicans could build up with these two. Uh, we just They just need to add some more pieces around them. In his last two games, J.J. Redick has dropped 17 and then dropped 20. Um, so if J.J. Reddick gets going for that team, the Pelicans are very, very dangerous. But as the NBA trade deadline approaches, my question for listeners of the podcast, viewers that watch either for the first time on YouTube and, and on Facebook, is it time to trade Lonzo Ball? If you're the New Orleans Pelicans, do you trade Lonzo Ball? And here's where I think it would make sense to trade Lonzo. Lonzo currently is averaging 14, 5, and 5. And I think a good landing spot for Lonzo Ball could be Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets with his brother LaMelo, Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham. I think you could build a trade from Charlotte that's around Malik Monk and maybe some picks. The Hornets are competing. The Hornets are currently within six to eight, depending on the night that you look in the standings in the East. 
the the more that team plays together, the more that team gels together, they look legit. They're fun to watch. I think adding Lonzo, I think if the Hornets can add Lonzo Ball to that team with his brother LaMelo, with Terry Rozier, with Devontae Graham, you could have some really interesting three-guard lineups on the floor because both Lonzo and LaMelo are really oversized guards. LaMelo specifically, you could play him at the three as part of your three-guard lineup. He can shoot. Lonzo can distribute. Devontae Graham, a good three-point shooter. Uh, Rozier can score when you need him to. So trading Lonzo to the Hornets seems like a, a really smart, a really good idea to me. You could, again, build a trade package around Malik Monk. Not only that, so the Hornets get a young player back. The Hornets are probably the ones that, or not the Hornets, the Pelicans get a young player back. The Hornets get a player that makes them better. And this is twofold for New Orleans. You open up playing time and spots for Kira Lewis, your first-round pick this year, Nikhil Walker-Alexander, a first-round pick from last year, while also getting a young player back in Malik Monk, who never really hit that potential that a lot of people felt he was going to have, that elite scoring status that a lot of people felt he was going to have coming out of Kentucky. So I think the Pelicans are up and coming. I don't think this is the year, especially not in the West. But I think with that duo constantly growing, constantly getting better, Zion and Brandon Ingram can be legit. That can be a legit tag team. Um, and against the Utah Jazz, who are currently first in the West, each drops 26. And if J.J. Reddick gets going, that's another trade piece. Or you can keep him as a, a guy to stretch the floor away from Reddick or from Zion down in the paint. But it's going to be interesting to see what the Pelicans do at, at the deadline. Again, I think trading Lonzo is the best thing for them to do and I think the Hornets if Lonzo is on the block should go for him because again it allows them to build some very interesting um, interchangeable long athletic all all able to handle the basketball lineups down there in Charlotte but let's get away from the A we're going to go getting our B is the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers signed Jackie Bradley Jr. earlier today to a two-year, $24 million deal. And I like the fit. I like the fit in Milwaukee. Um, he's a great defender. One of, he's won a gold glove. You have the ability to pair Jackie Bradley Jr. with Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich in the outfield. A lot of speed, a lot of ability to track the ball, a lot of space that can be covered amongst those guys. Um, not only that, the signing of Jackie Bradley Jr. gives gives the Brewers some platoon chances with uh, Garcia already on that roster. They can platoon with lefties versus righties and, and leaving Yelich in there full-time with the occasional rest day, of course. So I, I like the signing for Milwaukee. Again, I don't know what's going on in Boston. I mentioned this in an earlier podcast. You trade Mookie Betts. You trade Ben Attendee. You sell low on Ben Attendee. Now you don't re-sign Jackie Bradley Jr. 
I don't know what's going on with Boston. They're operating like a small market team, but they're in a big market. It, it doesn't make much sense to me. But career numbers for Jackie Bradley Jr., 240 career hitter. Um, tends to pull the ball, try to pull the ball much, but you're not getting Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, for his bat, per se. It's more for that defensive ability, speed. Um, so a 240 career hitter, 98 home runs. He is very streaky. He can get he can get power. We saw it in the playoffs against the Astros. He can add power when need to, but just a very streaky player. 98 home runs, 376 total RBIs again in his career. The B goes to Milwaukee. I like what they're trying to do. They added Colton Wong as well. So very defensive-minded there in Milwaukee. We'll see how their offense comes along, but it seems like they have a plan. They have a, a way that they want to operate, and they're going for it. And the Central isn't the strongest outside of St. Louis. So can Arenado put up those same numbers that he put up at course? We'll see when he plays with the Cardinals. But I, I like what Milwaukee is trying to do with this very defensive-minded, defensive-oriented team. Maybe they go to play small ball. Um, Bradley has enough pop to hit maybe in front of Yelich or behind him if you want to. So I like it. I like, I like what Milwaukee is doing there. T still need to go add some pitching, but I like the signing, especially for two years, $24 million. Not a bad deal. Bradley has the opportunity to opt out. After one year, so it's essentially could be a one-year prove-it deal opportunity for him to go and try to get an even bigger contract. So he's got something to play for. Um, I, I like the idea. I like the fit a lot. They have four outfielders, but again, it gives them the opportunity to platoon. Um, and it gives them a guy that can step in with starter's ability when Yelich needs a day off. Moving on, um, getting the C today is Overtime Elite. Overtime Elite gets a C because I'm not sure how I feel about their new idea. They want to create a new pro league that operates out of one city. Multiple teams all operating out of one city playing against one another. And they're going to pay high school aged players to forego playing for their high schools, forego playing college as a result, you, um, and getting paid to play while they should be in high school. Something similar to what Lonzo or Lamelo did, and he obviously goes on to get drafted by the Hornets. He's having a great rookie season. Uh, R.J. Hampton did this, so giving them a, a spot within the United States. My worry is that some kids will get taken advantage of. Maybe it doesn't work out the way that they thought and they're not able to go to college on these scholarships. Um, kids that would maybe need those scholarships to be able to pay and afford to go to college if they play with this overseas or overtime elite. They wouldn't be able to do that. It is different from the G League Ignite team. The G League Ignite team are high school graduates who have to have that one year before they can declare for the draft. They're able to get paid. Um, overtime Elite paying up to $100,000 a year for dominant players. 
they have some legitimate investors in Carmelo Anthony currently with the Trailblazers and Kevin Durant currently with the Nets. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, the CEO of Overtime Elite said you have to take into account that these guys play eight to 10,000 minutes of basketball for free. Um, Overtime Elite not only will pay them to play basketball, they'll be able to make money off of their likeness, advertising, things of that nature. So it will be interesting interesting to see. It's supposed to give them access to NBA or pro-style training while also getting them used to that kind of lifestyle. My concern is, again, ed the education side of it. I may do a sports podcast, but I am still a teacher, so I am curious, you know, what are they going to do for these kids education-wise? Um, but it, it could be interesting. It has potential. Overtime Elite has potential. We're going to see how far down do they go. My, do they eventually expand even further? Are they going to try and reach into the 8th grade pool? There are some dominant 8th grade basketball players. Are, are they going to try and reach out to freshmen, sophomore? Is it going to end up taking the entire high school experience away from some of these players because they want to get paid to play basketball? We'll see. Again, they, more information needs to come out. That's why they get a C right now. I like the idea of being able to pay these guys so that they're not paying, playing for free, making money for their high schools and then colleges while not making money themselves, risking the potential of getting hurt. Um, but education-wise, what happens? Because they're, they're going to forego their high school seasons uh, and therefore forego being in high school to play in this league. So what happens education-wise? What are they going to do? There are many online schools. I mean, as we've seen during COVID, there are opportunities to learn online. There are online institutions. Is Overtime Elite going to bring teachers in to teach these kids? I, I don't know. It should be interesting. I also want to see maybe do they expand out of just the one city. You're going to, you know, high school players are going to have to move. And families may have to move. And it'll be interesting interesting to see how that works out. Um, getting a D on this Thursday edition of the podcast is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Pittsburgh Steelers bring back Big Ben Roethlisberger. Only reason they don't get an F is because I guess it could be worse. You could have a worse quarterback situation. You, you could have Mitch Trubisky as your starter. Um... This this is a problem for Pittsburgh. You're you're paying you're paying this guy for what he used to be. You're paying Roethlisberger for the quarterback that he used to be, not what he is. Now I understand Pittsburgh started out very great, but a lot of that was because of their defense. That wasn't because of Roethlisberger's play. That wasn't because Roethlisberger was putting up big time MVP like numbers. No. And Roethlisberger is a big reason why Pittsburgh, I mean, just nosedived at the second half of the season. There, He's the main reason, combined with their lack of a running game, why they lost in the playoffs. Um, Pittsburgh gets a D because I think there were free agent quarterbacks better available for Pittsburgh to go out and get. I think Jameis, who I thought Pittsburgh should have signed, last year would have been a better option. Um, that That's my go-to example. Go out here and a second-round pick to trade for Darnold, I think that is a better option 
than Roethlisberger. There are options out there that would have made Pittsburgh a better team. Right now, I just don't know what Pittsburgh's plan is. You're paying, again, you're paying a guy for past performance. And that historically doesn't work out. So it's going to be interesting to see what Pittsburgh does. Is it, can it be argued that Roethlisberger is the fourth best quarterback in his division? Is he better than Lamar Jackson? No. Is he better than Baker Mayfield? Now? No. Is he better than Joe Burrow? We'll see. So so maybe he's better than Joe Burrow. Maybe he's the third best quarterback. But Joe Burrow, as a rookie, looked very promising. So it, it's time for... It's definitely time for... Pittsburgh to move on from Roethlisberger, but they're going to give him another year. Um, it's going to be interesting. Do they bring in a young quarterback in the draft? Do they go out and sign a, one of these quarterbacks to a more than one year deal? Um, if Carolina trades for Watson and, and, and gets rid of Bridgewater, do they go get him to sit behind? Who knows? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of question marks surrounding Roethlisberger. Is he going to be healthy enough to finish the whole year? Who knows? Right now, Mason Rudolph is the backup, and is that their plan? Because if it is, it's time to come up with a new plan. The F for today goes to the official that gave Montrez Harrell, and <laughs> Montrez Harrell got a technical foul. Because he screamed and won. Something that any of us that have played pickup basketball have done, I'm sure. He goes to the lane, lays the ball up, gets fouled, screams and won. Gets teed up right there. Technical foul to Montrez Harrell because he screamed and won. The referee that gave Montrez Harrell an, uh, uh, a tech for screaming and won, you get an F. Why? Because, thank God... That official doesn't referee any of the games that I coach in because I have screamed and won as the coach when one of my players got fouled and hit the basket. The NBA is getting soft. The NBA is getting soft, soft, soft. Flopping. You can't, you, you can't breathe on a guy too hard or it's a foul. It's too, it's too much. I personally... Watching the NBA growing up in the 90s, um, <laughs> Coach Smith, who's an assistant coach with me, says I've tossed a clipboard and I didn't get a tech for that. So, yeah, that's true. The NBA is getting soft. I watched the NBA in the 90s. Yes, I was a young child. But I thought that was more exciting basketball. It, it you're Watching the NBA players just flop. It's getting old. It's getting annoying. Um, the NBA's got to do something about it. I think finding these players would probably work. You, you, you start messing with people's money, they tend to change their behaviors. Um, I think that's one way to change flopping. But the it, it, if screaming and one is tech-worthy, 
then why have I heard players picked up on a hot mic cussing and not get teed up? I think this official, either in this game or in a previous game, had an interaction with Montrez Harrell, took that personally, and was probably looking for the first opportunity from that interaction to tee Montrez Harrell up. And that's a problem. That's something the NBA needs to address. Because once it happens, it should be over. It's done. Let's move on. But that didn't happen here. And it ended up being a game that the Lakers lost to the Sacramento Kings by three, where they also missed a call on a Buddy Hield three. Buddy Hield shoots a three to put the Knicks up or put the Kings up two, and his foot was on the line. So that's one point plus the and one tech. They get points at the free throw line plus the ball back. That that could have been the difference between a win and a loss. Now, should a game between the Lakers and the Kings have been close? No, it definitely shouldn't have been close. But you can't have soft technical fouls like this. Not when the NBA counts these technical fouls up to determine whether you are suspended or not. The NBA needs to rescind that technical foul from Montrezl Harrell, and that official needs to be hand like dealt with. There needs to be some sort of consequence for this official just deciding that Montrezl Harrell deserves technical foul because he screamed and won after hitting a layup. This official needs to go like, Go go to any gym where they play pickup ball. <laughs> Miss Reed said, why are you trying to look smart? The students are back in person. I have a shirt and tie on today. <laughs> um, Yeah, go to any YMCA. You'll hear them scream and one all the time. You'll hear it on hot mics, especially now that there's no fans in the NBA stands. Players scream and one. Players cussing on the floor. These are all things that you just got to let go. The NBA is getting soft. It's becoming a problem. It's affecting the game. Now, let's get our guest on the line. John Flynn. John, thank you for joining the podcast. How you doing tonight? Hey, hey, hey. I'm doing really good. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. So, you're a big Mets fan, right? Yes, I am. I, I've been a diehard Mets fan since that magical 2006 season. Well, as a Braves fan, I can go ahead and tell you that you guys aren't going to win the division this year. So there's there's that. And that could be a biased thought. I could be very biased in my thinking. If you think the Mets have a better team than the Braves, you are not being fair and objective. <clears throat> you guys have Francisco Lindor and pretty much every starter after that, the Braves are better. <laughs> yes, and, and, and like, but the, th- the th- thing, thing is, though, is that the Mets have a, bu- a bunch of high-quality talent in, in their starting lineup. You know, I can go with... For, uh, Pete Alonzo, Chef McNeil, Mike Conforto, and, and and Dom Smith has come around and, and being a, a high quality hitter as well. But 
Yeah, I think the thing I'm really most, most concerned about right now if, uh, if for, for the Mets is their bullpen. And yes, they added a couple of good believers uh, to the Pens in this offseason in Trevor May and Aaron Luke. But Seth Luka was going to start the year on the injured list because because he had uh, he had he had an elbow procedure last month. So that that's what I'm really concerned about for the Mets. I you know and I and as far as now bullpens I have a, I worry about the Braves bullpen, and I worry about the Braves rotation until Soroka comes back. But when Soroka comes back, that that one through four of Soroka, Freed, Anderson, Morton. That's that. There's not a lot of team, and and, and the problem is, is that the NL East is just going to continue to beat up on each other. But I I trust that that four man rotation to take the Braves very far, and that's why I say the Braves are better than than the Mets. Our bullpen, even though it is my concern, the Braves have a better bullpen than the New York Mets. I, you, you can seriously make the argument the Braves are the best bullpen in the division. You can seriously make that argument. You can. You know, the, the, I mean, the, the, the Phillies bullpens are train wrecks. They were historically bad last year. They, the the, the Nats Nat got better. Uh, they, they added Brad Hand, which I, which I really wanted the Mets to do. But, you know, uh, the Mets, even though they have Steve Cohen is the new owner, they, they, they couldn't get everything. But the, but the Nationals got them. But yeah, the Atlanta Braves. I think they have they have the deepest bullpen. I think that they have the strongest seven, eight, nine in 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 the division, and 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 that's why I trust the Braves to uh, in a big spot more than Mets, Phillies, and Mets. I, I here's my so here's I trust the Braves. I, I think the Braves. I mean, the Braves were one game away from the World Series, and I was a firm believer that if the Braves beat the Dodgers, they would win the World Series. But I, the only thing that scares me about the Braves this year is the division and the fact that all of those teams, the Braves, the Mets, the Nationals, the Marlins were a playoff team last year, all of those teams are going to continue to beat up on each other. The Braves have a solid rotation like that I just referenced. The Nationals have a solid rotation. The Mets have a solid rotation. And the fact that those three teams are going to continue to play each other is is the only thing that scares me about the Braves' chances this year. And, and, and also, you, you look at some of the other divisions across baseball that their collective rotations don't even don't even align up with what, what the NL East has. Now, you, you can certainly make the argument about the NL West because the Dodgers, the Padres have, have all the pitching talent and Arizona has some good starting pitching as well, but the but the East is clearly going to be the best division in all of baseball, and it's going to be so all of these games, especially when we get to August and September when they have to play each other. All these games are going to be going to so matter. intense. Yeah, and the thing that's this is this is what's frustrating, and you 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 can make this argument about any sport. There's going to be a team in the NL East that has a better record than the winner in the Central and doesn't make the playoffs. <laughs> like, I, I very much think that the Central, the NL Central is probably the worst division in baseball. 
and I think the NL East has four legitimate playoff cal- and I and I include the Marlins in that because they made the playoffs last year. But they have three teams that you could argue are going to finish second in the National League because I don't see anybody beating the Dodgers. Nobody's beating the Dodgers. Have you looked at the roster? It is so unfair how deep the Dodgers are. Can you find one legitimate hole in that roster that you can exploit? I can't. Not when you look at, I mean, their rotation. Because here's the thing about the Dodgers that I just didn't even think about. I totally forgot that David Price was on that team. And he just opted out because of COVID. And he's coming back this year. And then they added Trevor Bauer. Oh, yeah. And their fifth starter was, like, World Series MVP. So, um, plus their bullpen is super deep. I I agree with you. There's no holes in that lineup at all. Isn't it ironic that, I mean, that every single year in the last, in the last several years, the, the big concern with the Dodgers was bullpen, 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 bullpen. And that, now look what they got. They, they, have, they have Bruce Sargrado, who can throw 100 miles an hour easily. Victor Gonzalez was fantastic in, in the playoffs. They, they brought in Corey Knables. Uh, Blake Trinan is, is there now. And and and, and Kenley Jansen uh, going, going into uh, going going into another year with the Dodgers. That, that, that That's what's going to help. That's what's either going to further enhance the Dodgers and distinguish them from the rest of, rest of Major League Baseball. Yeah, I I just, I personally would love to see Major League Baseball institute some sort of salary cap because what the, Do- the Dodgers are quickly becoming like the 90s New York Yankees and it was just like, let's see how much money we can spend to buy a World Series championship. It It's not fair and life's not fair, but it's not fair to your smaller market teams. Your smaller market teams can't compete with the Dodgers' payroll. But but the, the thing is, some of the owners are are, are going to say no to that. Oh, and, the owners are definitely going to say no to that. The the big pocket owners. I, I mean, the Mets owner now is going to say no to that. I, I mean. It's just, I think it takes away from the competitive balance or even any possibility of a competitive balance in baseball when you have the Dodgers who can spend, who have a blank check and can just seem to spend however much money they want despite that that there was a COVID year and all teams supposedly took a loss as far as revenue. But they can go out and they can get Trevor Bauer they can pay David Price this year. They can go get Corey Cannell. They can go re-sign Justin Turner. I, the the lack of a salary cap concerns me for baseball. Now, I say that, and at the same time, the Braves are about to be in a situation where they got a lot of people they got to sign. So, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. But let's get back to your Mets. The Mets probably had everybody watched the waited for Trevor Bauer to sign, but probably the most exciting move of the offseason was the Mets trade for Frankie Lindor. So what when you saw it pop up, when you got the alert that the Mets traded for Francisco Lindor, 
What was your was a as a Mets fan? What what went through your mind? I think you go back to the introductory press conference of Steve Cohen, and 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 the and, and he he promised a completely different attitude with with, with the organization and, and with the franchise and with the front office as a whole. And a, a, a lot of a, a lot of the uh, Mets recent history with the Wilpons was a lot of penny pinching, like trying to sign as as many quality players as to. With as little money as possible, but but th- but then you 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 add a, a an elite player in Francisco Lindor, and by the way, you add a high quality starting pitcher in Carlos Carrasco. That he is one of the most underrated pitchers in all of baseball. In that exact same trade, and and then and then you, then you, you then you you send a package back that, that includes Andres Jimenez, who. Who impressed me a lot last season, and also the two prospects that were Brody Van Wagen and draft picks. Yeah, no. When the when when I as a Braves fan when I saw it, I wondered why the Braves didn't make the move and and move either Swanson or Lindor to third base because I I I like Austin Riley, I really do, but he's not Francisco Lindor, and. When they made the move, and I was like, okay, I'm sure they gave up a lot. No, they didn't. And then they also got Carrasco to add to a rotation that includes DeGrom, Stroman. You guys just signed Walker. Um, Thor's not going to be back this year. right? The Syndergaard won't be back this year. but the, he, 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 might, he might be back and might be back after the All-Star break, they said. Oh, well, it, yeah, I mean, it, that's... That's an addition in itself, just coming back from injury, similar to the Braves' addition of Soroka by coming back from injury. Um, I, I, I saw it as a Braves fan. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Now, I also thought the Mets were going to make another move. I thought you were going to get Lindor and then go sign a George Springer or, or somebody like that. That ended up not happening. Um, I thought the Mets – we're going to go get Real Muto. I thought that would have been um, a fantastic move or another outfielder. Like I said, I, I used George Springer as an example, but there were other outfielders available, and the Mets didn't go get somebody else. And so I think the Mets are still one to two pieces away. I do think, and this, you know, initially I, I'm, I'm, people are going to tell me I'm biased. I do, I do think the Braves have a better rotation than the Mets. Now, I think the Braves have a better bullpen than the Mets. And outside of Francisco Lindor, I think the Braves are better at every position than the Mets. And that's why I think the Braves are are ultimately going to win the division because I use those same arguments against the Nationals. I think the Braves are better than the Nationals in most spots. Um, but again, my concern is that the NL East is clearly going to be the best division in baseball, and they're going to beat up on each other, and it's going to cause a problem. And I thank you for being on the podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at John Flynn 97 Check his podcast out, Hooked on Sports. Our, our second guest on the line. He goes on Twitter by the name of Sal 
Fal with an F. Sal Fal Antonio. Um, and so we're going to get him here to talk a little bit of Milwaukee Bucks and Hello? Uh, Mets. Sal, can you hear me? How you doing today? Hey, Dwayne, what's going on? Nothing much, nothing much. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, we had a guest talk Mets a little bit earlier. I know you're a huge Mets fan, so I am going to talk a little bit about the Mets. I'm going to get into it uh, with your Milwaukee Bucks here. Uh, but I do appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I oh, appreciate no, it. no problem, no problem. So let's start with let's start with your Mets. Um, where are the Mets going to finish in the in the NL East, which I think could quite possibly be the most difficult and toughest division in baseball? I think it's turned into the toughest division in baseball, and I. I really want to say one but it's going to be really hard to top your team in Atlanta yeah and I was about to say the I, Mets I, are not better than the Braves <laughs> it's, it's going to be it's going to probably be two I think we'll end up in the second wild card behind San Diego because I don't see the Padres beating beating the Dodgers in their division so I mean if the Mets pitching holds up until Syndergaard gets there I mean, there's an outside shot that they can take, you know, the first in the division. But, I mean, realistically, I would really love to say one, but realistically we're probably saying two. Do the Mets need another hitter? Because when they got when they got Lindor, I thought they were going to sign somebody else out of free agency, and they didn't. Do the Mets need another big-time hitter in that lineup? I don't know if they need another big-time hitter, Dwayne. I think they need a big-time fielder who can hit. And they really need the DH. I think that's what they need. Because the team is set up to have a DH. And baseball is delaying the DH in the National League. And let's let's be honest, it's going to happen, whether it's... I think it should happen next year or the year after. But you talk about your team right needing now, the DH. If anybody's team needs the DH, the Braves need the DH because right now Marcelo Zuna is going to have to play left field, <laughs> and that's a problem. <laughs> well, we got Dom Smith in left too, so I mean Ozuna's arm. I mean, I kind of rather have Ozuna than Dom Smith in left. I want both their bats in the lineup, but you know we're in the same kind of position. Yeah. Could the NL East have three 90-win teams in it? Because Vegas has all three over-unders somewhere in the 90s, depending on which team you're looking at. I think that Philly is the swing is the swing team. Um, you know, I, I think the, the Mets and the Braves should win over 90, and I think, you know, Atlanta can end up in that 94 range where the Mets at 90, 91. I mean, I, I think Philly is going to be that swing team. But I don't know. There, there's something about the Phillies that, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. And I can't really, I don't know, maybe, I'm thinking more like 85, maybe 83. Uh, I think 90 is going to be, to have all three in the in the 90s is probably a stretch. But they're definitely going to have three. What about Washington? I don't think, I don't think Washington is going to be as good as, as everyone thinks they're going to be. 
I don't. I think that they won the World Series, and I think that you know they always have health issues with their with their rotation. I mean, if, if everyone stays healthy, yeah. Um, but I actually, I actually see see Washington behind the Phillies, and I see Washington wow. at four right now. Even with that rotation, because that that rotation I, I, of that one, two, three of Scherzer, um, Strasburg, Corbin, and now they've added John Lester, who's not what he used to be, but he's a as a fourth starter. That rotation could make the Nationals very dangerous. They could, but I mean, are you going to put are you going to put all your faith in them all staying healthy all year? Oh no, I'm definitely not. Strasburg is definitely going to get hurt at some point. And I mean, and Corbin and Scherzer, and when is Scherzer going to turn into you know someone his age? I mean, you know, Scherzer pitches lights out you know, all the time, but something's got to give at some point. Yeah, I no. mean. Soto, probably one of the best players in baseball. Yeah, you know, but if you're looking at inside the NL East, I don't know if they're they're not by they're by far not the deepest team in the division. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough division to hang around in and then try and win eighty five games in. So I don't know if they're set up if they don't stay healthy. And I until they stay healthy, I, I'm going to think that they're not going to stay healthy because that's what they always do. Yeah, yeah. Does the Braves having Chipper Jones as a hitting coach worry you? Because I, I would just like to I like to do this with Mets fans. I like to remind them that he hit 310 with 49 home runs and 159 career RBIs versus the Mets, and he named his son Shea. Yeah, Larry. Uh, Larry always makes me mad. Um, so, you know the uh, the ultimate. And I, you know, as much as I dislike him seeing against, you know, my team. I mean, you gotta respect. Is just real quick that move of naming your kid Shay. Is that kind of like the biggest kind of baller move you've ever seen? That's like the you most... dominate one. <laughs> visiting ballpark you know and you just you name your kids like the ultimate disrespect move i think it's this most savage move in sports (laughs) is that i hate it it so much but it really is it really is the most savage because there's nothing and mets fans want to call him larry and chan at it and stuff but there's nothing we can say because he just dominated us for years and you know we we kind of just have to look at him now and just kind of tip our cap and say, okay, you got us yeah. because he, he just really did. Yeah. And, but his baseball knowledge is, yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely worries me that you're putting him on a staff that has a lineup that's already, you can barely find an out in that lineup to begin with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move away from baseball. Let's, let's, uh, the NBA is getting ready to go into its, its all-star weekend and your Milwaukee Bucks currently sit third in the standings in the Eastern Conference. Um, and I'm going to say this, and you can tell me I'm wrong. I think that has a lot to do with their division. Uh, I don't, I don't think that there's really anyone else in that that division now. I don't think divisions matter as much in the NBA as in other sports. But the Bucks sit third in the Eastern Conference. 
Can they win a title with this roster the way it is? So, well, first off, no, but that's because they can't win a title with any roster with Budenholzer as, as the coach. That I'm was a my big next question. Anti so the, know, the, Haw- the Hawks were that way. The Haw- you know, I'm, I'm a Hawks fan, and we loved Coach Bud until the playoffs. Now, he's a great yeah, regular I, I, season that's coach. That's what I was just going to say. You know it best, Dwayne. I mean, you know, Bud, Bud until the playoffs is great. But um, my buddies are all – I have a lot of Sixers fan friends, and, you know, being in New Jersey. And, you know – one of one of my cousins put put it best to me. I mean, Bud is kind of the Brett Brown right now. You know, they're going to yeah. win. They're going to win a bunch of regular season games. They're going to play really well. But you put them in a seven game series against a good team, and they're going to crumble. I he think, makes no adjustments. I, and no, he didn't do that in Atlanta either. But I think the Bucks' problem is so. There's a couple of things that I I have that are issues with the Bucks. One, I don't think. Any team with Dante DiVincenzo as their third option can can win a championship. Two, I think if it wasn't for the Celtics, we would talk about how weak the Milwaukee Bucks bench is. And I think the Bucks last year with Bledsoe were a better team than they are this year with Holiday. So I agree with you on the first two points. By by all all definitions of, of the point. The third one, though, now I was the same, same way I felt about Bud. Loved Eric Bledsoe until he got into the crunch time because Eric Bledsoe, two years ago in the Easter Conference Finals, had one of the worst performances against Toronto that you'd ever see. Yeah. Last year, also pretty invisible in the playoffs. I think the Drew Holiday move was necessary, but I think that not getting Bogdanovich was the biggest thing for them, was they needed a complimentary move to Drew Holiday, and Brent Forbes isn't that complimentary move. Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, So I think my, my, here's what I think, and me and my dad actually argue on this point all the time. I think... Giannis Antetokounmpo is a great player. I also think he's one of the most overrated players in basketball. Because until he consistently can hit a three-point jump shot, he's nothing but a bigger, stronger, he's a stronger version of Ben Simmons. And I think you play zone against the Bucs and the Bucs are in trouble. And I think that's their problem. I think Giannis is great. I also think he's overrated in the same way that I think Ben Simmons is overrated. Okay, well, so here's my here's my counterpoint to that because I'm I'm Giannis ride or die. Now, would you have that same opinion if Giannis was able to work with a coach who adjusted his game plan to get him out of those spots? Because you've you've seen now in the last couple of years. That teams, like when the Raptors play them, when the Heat play them every time they play them, if you blitz Giannis and put him in a box, 
he's very hard to get his game going because Absolutely. you're going to get him in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. You're going to get in his head where he, if you're blitzing him, he he doesn't have the consistent outside shot. And when he gets a consistent outside shot, if he does, he'll be unstoppable. He's the most unguardable player in the un, most unguardable player in the NBA. I agree. And that's bar none. But I think right now you can play there. zone against the Bucks. You could zone the Bucks right now, and I, that's what Miami did in the bubble last year. They went zone yeah, against Milwaukee, built, and, and Milwaukee couldn't shoot. That. Yeah, I and, think that's and the problem. Bam clamps Giannis, and he just—he's in his head. He clamps him, and I mean that's just—you got to be realistic when talking about it. You know, it's Bam clamps him because Spolstra. And I'm not a big Spolstra guy, but he coaches circles around Bud. And he knows exactly what Bud's going to do. And I think that if you know Miami had half their roster available, they can still probably win a couple games in a seven-game series against, against Milwaukee because of how well that one coach can game, game plan against another coach. So that's, yeah. that's my counterpoint to the honest thing, is that if you had a coach that makes adjustments and was able to work out of those out of those things where, you know, if you can keep a team from going to one game plan to stopping you. Because Bud doesn't do that. You you saw it in Atlanta. Well, he doesn't think, make adjustments. I, I think so part that, of that that's is... That's my only counterpoint to you about Giannis being overrated. Yeah, but part of that is also that there's no, I mean, I, I as a coach would be willing to let Drew Holiday beat me. Like any team is going to, in any team, game plan is going to be take out the other team's best player. And Milwaukee's second and third options are Drew Holiday and Dante DiVincenzo, <laughs> whereas... Well, it's Middleton. Their second is Middleton. Middleton and that, then either Holiday. That point. Yeah. But but you still, know, it's, it, it's Middleton was a was a max contract that you had to do, but you know it really shouldn't have been that much. That he shouldn't have been a max contract, but it's something Milwaukee had to do. But you're but that is evident because you're bringing up their their second and third options. You named Divincenzo over Chris Middleton. That's a problem. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, so Middleton is a better player than what I was trying to say was that your, your second option is, is obviously Chris Middleton, who's Putting up all puts up all star caliber numbers. This is no slight against Middleton, but he is better suited to be a third option. Whereas right now, the way it's set up, either Holiday or DiVincenzo are the third option, and I, that is what I think is the problem with the Bucks. Combined with, and again, I was going to bring this up. Combined with Coach Budenholzer's ability to coach in the playoffs, which is beyond horrible. Um, so. I'm curious, what do you think the Bucks need to do at the trade deadline, or is there anything they can do at the trade deadline? I don't even know if there's anything that they can do anymore with because they were set up to really give away everything when they were going to get Bogdanovich. Yes. And that, whatever, however they deemed it tampering, which was kind of ridiculous anyway, but, you know, we won't even get into that, but... He's on the Hawks now. That blew up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're loving it, and also you got my other guy that I really wanted. I really wanted Gallo on the Bucks because the Hawks had the off season that I, I wish the Bucks had. 
So, well, if it makes you feel any better, Gallinari's having an atrocious season. <laughs> like, hey, you know, it's, so it's, bad. A, and Bogdanovich, and Bogdanovich is hurt. American, I can't root against him. Yeah. But, you know, but I don't think the Bucks overplay. The Bucks had their had their offseason lined up, and I don't think that they have any capital that they can get rid of to get anybody because part of that. Part of that trade, I think, you know, there was there was a possibility of maybe Pat Connaughton being in a deal, maybe you know a couple. But who would take Pat Connaughton right now? Nobody. Yeah. yeah no. You know, it's they don't have they have no assets to get rid of because all their I mean their best bench guy right now is Bobby Portis. And are you really going to give up anybody good for Bobby Portis? I don't think anyone's afraid of and, Bobby Portis. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and no and one's trading. I up. mean, the Bucks need Bobby Portis, so you can't even get rid of him. I, I think the Bucks are probably the least scary three seed I've ever seen. I, I. And I'm going to I'm I'm trying I'm going to look at the standings right now. And if the playoffs started today, they're playing Charlotte in the first round, and that's not even like I'm not ready to say, oh yeah, Milwaukee can definitely beat Charlotte in the first round. Well, doesn't that feel like a six game series right now, which is kind of pathetic? Yes. And I and I I, I mean I I think it's the Sixers and the Nets, and right now Milwaukee is only three game, two games out of first in the East, but it feels like it's so much more of a gap between those top two it feels teams. Like it feels like it's a, such a larger than two game gap between the Sixers and the Nets, and then the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the Bucks need another superstar, and they paid Chris Middleton to be that superstar, and he's not. He's just a star. He's not a superstar. He's an all star. He's not a superstar. He's not transcendent. Yeah, and that, and that's the tough part with with Chris Middleton. It's like what I said is he was a max contract that you had to make, but you know he he kind of shouldn't have. And that's no slight against Chris Middleton. I love Chris Middleton. I would love him as a third option, like you said, but he's not the third option. You know, yeah. he, he needs to be an everyday two option, and he's not built for that. He's built for that kickout role. That that. Wing star, Giannis, and a, then another facilitator can use Chris Middleton as a safety net from behind the line. Would you like to see Giannis on the block more than he is currently used on the block? I would because I think that that can get him into his more dominant role. I hate this pick and pop with Giannis that Bud runs when they get Giannis away from the basket because the only time Giannis should ever be away from the basket is when he's then getting ready to charge towards the basket. Right. I but he's using him like him take a step outside of the paint. I, I think Bud is using Giannis like um names slip in my mind. Like uh like they use Jokic. Like like Jokic is being used. And Giannis doesn't have the Yeah but Jokic the, has a shot. That's what I was about to say. Giannis doesn't have the shot that Jokic has. And every time I watch the Bucks, I'm like, why doesn't that guy? He's as he may not be he's as strong as the guys in the paint, but he's more athletic than the guys in the paint. Give that dude the ball with his back to the basket and let him do work on the block. 
And if anything, I would like to see Budenholzer run a system similar to Stan Van Gundy's system in New Orleans with what Van Gundy's doing with Zion or what he did in Orlando yeah. with Dwight Howard, where we're going to give you the ball on the block. We're going to let you be the most athletic guy on the floor. And if you get double teamed, kick the ball out because you're 6'11 and can see over the double team to the open shooter. But for some reason, Budenholzer wants to use Giannis as a guard. <laughs> yeah, and I think that you made a great point, and I love your Stan Van Gundy point because so the, during the Dwight years, I was I watched a lot of a lot of the Magic. It was my my in between periods of finding a new basketball team because I was always a Tracy McGrady guy. I didn't, and then I started watching just random players while I was looking for another team. I'm a, fre- I'm a freshly acquired Bucks fan with, with Rodgers buying in and everything, but I watched a lot of a lot of just various basketball, and I watched a ton of the Magic. And because Rashard Lewis, Dwight Howard, I love them. Jameer Nelson, great. What they ran is how exactly I would like to see the Bucks like you brought up because Chris Middleton runs that Rashard Lewis role. And yes. Rashard Lewis is great. For the Magic, underrated when, when Dwight was in his prime. There's and a lot of players have, on that Magic team that are underrated. By the way, not to get off topic, but like there are some. Go look at that roster. There are some very underrated players on that Magic team. <laughs> yeah, he he do was way underrated. Lewis, Jameer Nelson was way underrated for them. Jameer Nelson. You had JJ Redick was on that yeah. team. Yeah, and JJ played. JJ played really strong for that team. And they even had they even had Ray for Alston play play well during and then you had um what his name's his name slipped in my mind. Um the guy who threw the ball at Kobe and Kobe didn't flinch. Matt Barnes. What is his name? Matt yes, Barnes. Matt Barnes. Yeah. He was he was strong too for that team and he, you know, wasn't, you know, anything too too special, but the way that Stan ran that team is how is how Bud should run the Bucks because if you look at that roster and you look at the Bucks roster, you have one legit superstar and a bunch of guys who are going to help that superstar out. Yeah. My, there wasn't a clear-cut number two on that team either. Yeah. So my my Coach Smith, one of my guys that I coach with, I've had him on the podcast before. He's in the comments. He says the Bucks need a solid two, a, a better perimeter guy. You agree with that concept? They need a better two guard. Is it does a two a solid two guard make the Bucks a better team? Yeah, and I think that's what they were going with with Bogdanovich, right? So I I think that makes sense. You know where because you can say that your perimeter guy is Chris Middleton, but you know Chris Middleton has an in and out game where if you had a, a solid two guy that can also. I think it was a big part of their game last year and why they won so many regular season games and then they got derailed by the bubble, you know, and the break. Wesley Matthews was a solid enough two-guard offensively, but he was a really good two-guard defensively. So they need a two-way two-guard. And I think that's what makes that team a lot better because Wesley Matthews was on a lot of the better team's players last year. And he played really, really well for the Bucs. You know who <clears throat> there's a couple guys that I would love to go see the Milwaukee Bucks get. If the Bucks could get Oladipo, which I don't think they have the capital to do so, 
I would like to see Oladipo in Milwaukee because I think that's the perfect number two option to make Middleton the number three option. Um, maybe go get Kyle Lowry out of Toronto uh, and move Drew Holiday to the two. Um, somebody like that. There's, there's, they just need another guy. I, and and I, I can't... There's not a specific guy that comes to mind. I guess it was Bogdanovich because Bogdanovich probably is a perfect fit on that, that roster. It allows Middleton to play the three. Um, Drew Holiday can play the point. Giannis goes back to playing the four and then and then Brooke Lopez. But And it shores up your bench because then DiVincenzo comes off the bench and he, where he probably should be. Um, yeah, that's a spot where he should be. So... I don't know. It should be interesting. I mean, I think. Do you think that Oladipo is probably the most realistic, though? I mean, you know, as far as just probably guys that you can get for a little bit cheaper than other guys. I think Oladipo. I don't really see Oladipo. Sticking. I, I, I think with, Oladipo. I think he's getting moved. No, yeah, I, I definitely think he's getting moved. I think he's let it be known to God and everyone that he doesn't want to play for the Rockets. So I think Oladipo is a realistic target. Um, I think Houston is going to want draft picks uh, more so than they want players. But then it becomes how much is Milwaukee willing to give up for a potential rental? Like, is Oladipo going to want to stay there or is Oladipo going to want to be the guy on a team, on another team? Is he going to stay and is he going to sign and is he going to extend to be the second option? I don't know. I mean, how many picks, if you're the Bucks GM, how many first round picks are you willing to give up? for a guy that potentially may not resign with you. Yeah, and there's and after the uh the Drew deal, there's not a ton left, so you got to hold on to those as much as you as much as you can. So you you need kind of commitment from Oladipo, but you know, how much are you going to get from him and you know, the Rockets are going to trade him to wherever. They're they're in full rebuild. Rebuild. Right. So the Rockets are going to trade them to whoever's going to give them the most future draft picks. But a team like Milwaukee, kind of, they're not. They're going to be strapped for for money, so they're going to need some kind of future draft picks, unless they're just planning on going, you know, some some veteran moves. But clearly, if Brooklyn I mean, sticks together for another does, year and does, the Sixers stick together, I mean, they're going to need more than just vets. Does Sacramento give you Buddy Heald just to dump his contract? Like there, that that's a potential two guard. I mean, there's not a lot of two guards on the on the out there that that are just available. Like Oladipo's no, one. That's a, that's a position that you're going to hold on to when you have it. Buddy Heald, yeah, you know, it's pretty hard to come by. Right. I mean, does does Buddy Heald? But does Buddy Heald change too much for this team right now? So how much do you give up for Buddy Heald? I mean, I, Buddy Heald gives you too much with the Bucks. Buddy Heald gives you a shooter, a guy that, like we were, like I was saying, you could stick out on the perimeter, and and put Giannis back in the middle. But then the question becomes: Is Budenholzer going to run that system, or is he going to keep putting the ball, or is he going to keep playing Giannis as a guard? Like, then the question falls back on Budenholzer, um, who had his. I mean, he coaches well in the regular season, and then he is beyond terrible in the playoffs. So, I don't know. Guys can figure him out. And the problem is, I think he's trying to go, he tried to get Bryn, be, have Bryn Forbes be that guy, and he, he really is trying way too hard to, for Pat Connaughton to be that guy. 
and I don't know if anyone's having too too much worse of a season right now than Pat Connaughton. And you know, he's out there during during crunch moments, and you know why he's on the floor to begin with. You know, is kind of mind boggling right now. So, and I, I think a, a lot of that's on Bud. But I mean, you know, with whatever two guard they get, you know, they've they've gone cheap. Let's say with some of their trying to fill the needs, you know, after after they couldn't get Bogdanovich. I mean, they I think they're at the point where even if it's a rental like Oladipo, just backtracking to your your other point, even if it's a rental, I think, you know, they're the Bucks are kinda against it right now. They kinda have to leverage something to try and hang with hang with the rest of the because it, they are very, very unscary right now. And they're going to need something to put them over the top, or they're they're going to be they're going to falter. at best a second round exit. And that again, it's like you said, at best, does it does it Milwaukee and Charlotte feel like they're closer than reality? Which is that is the the gap between Charlotte's record and Milwaukee's record is three times as much as the gap between Milwaukee. and and then Brooklyn, who's currently second. It, it feels like Milwaukee's a lot closer to Charlotte than they are to Brooklyn. So it, it's going to be interesting to I, see. I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see. Like you said, they gave up a lot for Drew Holiday, and I understand that that they had to. And it's a move they had to make. They had to change something. You couldn't just run it back with last year's team. But I like Drew Holiday, but I don't, I don't. I didn't then. This isn't me just playing revisionist history. I didn't think then that he made Milwaukee that much better of a team than they already were. And when you give up, well, draft remember days, that that move wasn't supposed to be by itself. That wasn't. That was never supposed to be a, you know, standalone move. That was supposed to be partnered. And that's the biggest problem is once they got this tampering rule, canceling the Bogdanovich trade that it makes it a separate incident, the Drew Holiday trade, and that's not the only move you can make and hang with these teams. But I didn't think it, I didn't, so maybe this is just my misunderstanding. I didn't think it was tampering. I thought it was, he was going to, Bogdanovich was going to resign, it was going to be part of a sign and trade, and Bogdanovich didn't want to go to Milwaukee, because Atlanta just signed him. It wasn't like we had to trade for him, we just signed him. So they canceled the trade because they said they talked negotiations beforehand, from what I understand, and then he decided to not go to Milwaukee. And the weird thing is, I they, they painted the story of Bogdanovich didn't want to go play in Milwaukee, but he's also best friends with Giannis. So I don't really, I think there's a lot more to the story than what we what we know about. But the trade got canceled because they said Milwaukee talked too early about it. But really, it was a reporter. You know, it was Woj that released that the trade was going to happen on a signing trade. But you can't, you can't facilitate. It was too early for them to facilitate that trade. So I mean, there's a lot that even that even I think is. I don't know if we got all the information. I don't really. I really don't believe that we know the full story. Maybe that's me being a little bit in denial, but the way I saw it, that deal was kind of taken from us, and I'm a little bit more 
heard about it because it completely changes the team. Yeah. And I think that you're more looking, you're not talking, we're not talking the way we are about the Milwaukee Bucks right now if that trade goes through. I get it. I get it. Well, Sal, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Go follow this guy on Twitter. It's at Sal Fal F A L Antonio. It's like Sal Pal Antonio, but with an F. Go follow him on Twitter. Foundation. Yeah. Foundation abs- represent, Dwayne. Absolutely. Sal, thank you for coming on the podcast. We'll have, definitely have you back on around playoff time. Appreciate it, man. Dwayne, thanks, brother. No problem. Appreciate it. That's Sal. Sal Fal Antonio. Go follow him on Twitter. So let's get into our lesson for the day. Look, my lesson for the day is simple. Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson are still available. And I'm going to go, I'm going to throw four teams out there. Four teams. I've done my homework. If you were the Chicago Bears, would you trade Roquan Smith, Mitch Trubisky, Leonard Floyd, and Kevin White for either Deshaun Watson or Russell Westbrook? I, I, I think, yes, Roquan, dominant. The other three? Mm. If you're the New England Patriots, would you trade Nikhil Harry, Sony Michelle, Isaiah Wynn, and Malcolm Brown for either Deshaun Watson or Russell, Russell Wilson? If you're the Las Vegas Raiders, would you trade David, David Arnett, Henry Ruggs, Cleland Farrell, and Colton Miller? For either Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. If you're the New York Giants, would you trade Andrew Thomas, DeAndre Baker, Dexter Lawrence, and Daniel Jones for either Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson? Four teams I just gave you with their four last four first round picks that they made. The only exception was the Raiders who had three picks in last year's draft. I only gave you one of those guys. But four teams, four first-round picks, all players within the last five years drafted by those four teams in the first round. This is what I'm saying. You have a chance to, if your team historically or even recently is just bad at drafting players in the first round, why not go... Trade three to four first-round picks for a known commodity, a top quarterback in either Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson. Again, Chicago, Roquan, who I understand is a beast. But then the other three first-round picks after Roquan Smith was Trubisky, Floyd, and Kevin White, who I don't think Kevin White is still in the NFL. Malcolm Brown, I don't think he's still in the NFL. He was one of the last four first-round picks made by the New England Patriots. Isaiah Wynn didn't end up being the left tackle that they thought he was. Sony Michelle is part of a running back by committee. And Nikhil Harry, the, New England is still looking for wide receivers, so clearly that guy wasn't the transcendent first-round wide receiver they thought he was going to be. Vegas whiffed on both, or it looks like they whiffed on both of their first-round picks last year. 
Cleland Farrell was one of three first round picks that they had, and he actually ended up being the earliest one, and they missed on him. And Colt Miller was a left tackle that they maybe may or may not resign. So again, those are four first round picks made by Vegas. The Giants, Andrew Thomas, DeAndre Baker's not with the Giants anymore. Andrew Thomas wasn't the tackle that they thought he was going to be. Dexter Lawrence hasn't been the transcendent uh, lineman that he was at Clemson. And Daniel Jones, most Giants fans don't like. So those are the last four first-round picks made by the Giants. All I'm saying is, is if you historically have not drafted well, maybe, maybe you should think about three or four first-round picks for one of these known commodities, known top five quarterbacks. Shout out, Marlon. What's up, man? Marlon's in the comments. He's going to be sick if they go to either the Raiders or the Broncos. I would be too, because then as a Chargers fan, you're going up against Patrick Mahomes and one of those guys each twice a year. That's automatically four losses if you're the Chargers. I think maybe he goes to both. Maybe I I'm gonna speak this into into existence, just like I did with Lloyd Pierce getting fired. I think both of those quarterbacks are getting are going to either the Raiders or the Broncos. I think each of those teams is gonna get one or the other. That way, Marlon, after he, all the trash he talks, Marlon will have to face Russell Wilson twice, Deshaun Watson twice, and Patrick Mahomes twice, all in the same division. I'm going to speak it into existence. I'm doing it now. It's going to happen. Maybe not. But I'm curious. I'm curious. So Marlon's in the comments. Teams with the young quarterbacks. Teams with quarterbacks like we already know that Miami is interested in in Deshaun Watson, but if the the Chargers who have Justin Herbert would they be willing to trade Herbert for one of these quarterbacks? Teams with the young, up and coming QBs are would Cincinnati be willing? Now, granted, Burrow's hurt, and that's a little bit different, but. Would Cincinnati be willing to trade their rookie quarterback for one of these guys? Marlon says no. Marlon's the biggest Justin Herbert fan. He started the Justin Herbert fan club back when Justin Herbert was a sophomore in high school. So, I, I'm just saying. I, I gave you four teams that have been in the mix for quarterbacks. And I gave you four first-round picks that they've made within the last five years. And all four of them are deals you make if if you talk about the players that were taken with that with that pick. Marlon says, not a chance. Russ has peaked. Maybe. Deshaun Watson hasn't peaked. That's the other interesting one that rumors have been going around. Um would Arizona would Arizona package something around Kyler Murray to go get Deshaun Watson now that they have DeAndre Hopkins, and J.J. Watt. It's something to think about. Arizona doesn't draft well either. So, outside of Kyler Murray, who just fell into their lap. But if you remember correctly, they're also the team that drafted Josh Rosen. So, these this idea of, oh my gosh, that's too many first-round picks to give up for that guy. I'm telling you, I just read off the names of four different teams and the players they drafted with those picks. Don't be so quick 
to be like, no, I'm not trading. We don't need to trade that many draft picks for that guy. Especially if your team has a history of not drafting well. The only team, when I was looking this up, that I was like, "Eh, maybe I wouldn't make that trade, was the Carolina Panthers because their last four picks were Derek Brown, Brian Burns, DJ Moore, and Christian McCaffrey. So maybe I don't make that deal. But all the other ones, all those other teams, absolutely. I make that deal in a heartbeat. Before I let y'all go, it's time to hand out detention. Who's got detention today? You know who? Rudy Gobert. You got detention. Why? All that trash you talked about Joel Embiid and you let this man go out and drop 40 and 19 on you. It's too much. You can't talk all that trash. You can't do it. You can't do it. And then let and then just get worked. And then just get worked like that. It, it can't happen. Before I let y'all go, I'm gonna drop I'm gonna drop this little tidbit of information on y'all. Say it. <laughs> There's a meme going around that reporter asked Michael Jordan. A reporter asked Michael Jordan. If his 90s Bulls team could beat the Lakers, he said yes. The reporter said, by how much? He said two or three. The reporter said, really? Why so close? Jordan said, because we're all in our 60s now. (laughs) I love it. I love LeBron hate. I'm a LeBron fan, but the hate is getting to be too much. Hate's getting to be too much. But that's all I got for y'all for today. Shout out. Marlin versus Marlin podcast. Go check them out. They're the reasons that the sports school podcast exists. Shout out to Sal Fal Antonio, or just Sal, for coming on the episode today. Shout out to all of you that listen, either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, shout out to, if you're in Myrtle Beach area, VRBO, look for Diamonds and Pearls. They're a sponsor of the podcast. And my man, Evan Tanner, who let me borrow this mic right here so that y'all could hear me better after the first couple of episodes were audio-wise absolutely atrocious. Shout out to all of y'all. Thanks for all the love. Those of you that are watching on Facebook, go share. Get the audience up. And I will see y'all Monday. Coach Davidson is out because this tie is uncomfortable. Let's talk Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck retired from football. As at the time, probably a top five quarterback in the league. And now the Colts have traded for this high priced quarterback in Carson Wentz. If there was ever a time that Andrew Luck wanted to come back to the National Football League and pick where he was going to go play. This would be it. This would be the time. Gronkowski left New England, retired for a year, told the Patriots he wanted to come back, said he only wanted to play for Tampa Bay, kind of forced their hand. They trade him to Tampa Bay. Andrew Luck could potentially do the exact same thing. If Andrew Luck wanted to play football, he comes back, he tells the Colts, I want to come back. I want to go play for this team with this coach. Now, there are some interesting options out there. 
Colts and Broncos seem to have a history of sharing quarterbacks. Quarterbacks going from the Colts to the Broncos. <clears throat> that one seems like it would be an upgrade. If he says, comes back and says, I want to go to Denver, you got two options. You got two high-priced quarterbacks on your, <laughs> on your payroll or you trade one. I mean, you just traded for Carson Wentz. So maybe Andrew Luck comes back and says, I want to go play for Dallas. I mean, Dallas should pay Dak. I've gone on that rant before. Dak should be the guy there. But if he wanted to go there, there you go. Andrew Luck could come back, and I hope this is wrong, and say, I want to go play with Sean Payton in New Orleans. You mean to tell me that that trade couldn't get... You couldn't make that trade happen? Because here's the thing. If he came back and said, I want to play for this team, the Colts would pretty much have to trade him there because all he would do is retire again. Colts made a move for Carson Wentz. They could get that. They could get some of that draft capital back if Andrew Luck ever wanted to come back. If the Colts wanted to make a phone call to Andrew Luck right now and be like, hey, Andrew Luck, you interested in coming back and unretiring and playing football? No, you don't have to play at Indianapolis anymore. Where do you want to play? Cool, I'll trade you there to recuperate the draft capital that I just traded to get Carson Wentz. Andrew Luck retired at arguably the peak of his career. All I'm saying is that if there was ever a time, ever a time, that Andrew Luck wanted to come back, it would be now. He could essentially, while not being a free agent, pick where he wanted to go. All these teams that are quarterback needy, I would call Andrew Luck. I would get in touch with somebody who knows somebody who knows Andrew Luck. And be like, hey man, I don't know if you heard, but we need a quarterback. You trying to come play here? I need you to unretire and we'll send the deal to Indy. <laughs> 